Hey everyone, just wanted to come on here and uh, first wish you a Merry Christmas and also just to let you know that the first part of this podcast has a question that I ask of Pastor Matt that is of a sensitive nature. So I would encourage you to listen to it first before you let the kiddos hear it. All right. All right. Here we go. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. It is the Christmas season. I am loving driving down the street and seeing all of the Christmas lights and, uh, also the just the feeling of the anticipation of the uh god of all creation condescending and coming to the earth it's uh a miraculous time and here to with me to talk about these things and other things is the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church his name is Pastor Matt White how you doing today sir I'm doing great good to be with you my friend good to be with you as well um this is the christmas kind of special but I had a question come in uh, from a listener, and I wanted to ask you this question first. And the reason why I think it's a good question is because there is no doubt in my mind that there are other people that would be uh, experiencing this, that would be um, that would benefit from this this question. So I'm going to ask it. And. The person wanted to remain anonymous, and the reason behind it is because it is a very sensitive subject. So, I'm going to ask it. Here it is. No problem. Am I building enough anticipation right here? I'm I'm shaking in my boot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, it's a wife. Not my wife. Just let me clear the air there. Not my wife. This wife is looking to biblically submit to her husband. Mm -hmm. And with that being the case, this is the situation. Biblically submit to the husband. The husband is an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, there are situations where the husband um, may be not living in the home, Mm -hmm. visiting for the purpose of children, Mm -hmm. um, but also is very abusive Physically, uh, not necessarily physically, but verbally, definitely, mm-hmm. um, and is you know just very. Uh, uh, I'll read it to it like this: um, What is the biblical response to sexual advances made from a spouse that is verbally very harsh, mean, and insulting, or a spouse that threatens divorce frequently and/or has moved out but visits due to the children and desires to have sex? Mm. What about situations when the spouse who is remained or not been verbally cruel wants to initiate sex with a temporary feeling of connection with the spouse that emotionally and relationally feels so distant or hurt or has hurt them immensely. And at the same time being concerned that their imitation or agreeing to have sex communicates that all is well in the marriage. So basically a emotionally disconnected spouse Mm-hmm. One that is very abusive, mm-hmm. uh, and it may go into the realm of physical. It may just be verbal, mm-hmm. um, but is desiring to uh, 
probably should have told people that this was going to be the topic before so that you've got little ears around. We jumped off the Christmas <laughs> discussion, brother. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we were far away from Christmas this we can get. Yeah, sorry, this man. is, yeah, this is, uh, sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, but. Uh, uh, I didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry if you all weren't prepared for that one, yeah. but that this is the reality of it. I might just put something in the beginning of the yeah the 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 a little uh, warning might be helpful yeah a little warning um, especially to the pastor. <laughs> I don't I don't think you need a warning. You probably get things like this all the time, just randomly in yeah. counseling sessions. But yep. but that is the the I, I get I I guess that you kind of get the point of the question. Um, but yeah, and I would imagine that this uh, wife isn't the only person that's dealing with something like this so. yeah yeah so um yeah it's a, not only is that a difficult question because it's filled with all kinds of nuances and and um differences per situation right it's not there's not a universal reality in the situation that you described but also um it's difficult because in that situation you've got an unbeliever and a believer mm-hmm. that's the way you described it dealing with uh, what the way you described it, a tension-filled situation that really needs, uh, needs personal shepherding. Mm-hmm. So whatever I'm going to say, I'm prefacing it with this, that that kind of, that kind of situation needs personal counsel, okay. not through a podcast or some sort of book, you know, so to speak. You, you need a shepherd to come alongside and, and get more information and guide and direct. And really what you need is a local church pastor, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's God's design for shepherding, uh, individuals as well as couples, as well as families through all of life is the church. And so when you're dealing with those kind of tenuous situations, you really need a, a, uh, a, a specific shepherd who understands the situation, who can see it, who can get all the nuances and say, you know, this is this is the right way to handle this and to speak to both parties. That's really what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've got ideas or scripture that speaks to that, but it's going to be a general uh, a general principle that's going to guide. But when it comes to the specifics per that situation, you really need uh, you really need a specific shepherd who's involved in that to counsel and, and because there's just so much that, that I I have a thousand questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and so before I could ever give specific direction, I would want answers to those questions. I'd want to speak with the husband or the wife and say, well, what about this? What about that? What's going on there? Where are you at with this? And so that's the difficulty when you're dealing with that kind of situation. The minute you start talking about, you know, verbal abuse that could go to the way of, of physical abuse and then you start throwing in the manipulation for lack of better word for sexual favors and that kind of thing that all that all just plays together and could even be uh uh abusive on many levels and so you got to guard against that and so but scripture is clear and you're dealing with a uh if and i don't think you said but if you're dealing with a unbelieving wife or an unbelieving husband either way no matter which side it goes, the principles of First Peter three um, are very clear, and obviously written to an um, to an unbelieving husband, written for an, a believing uh, wife married to an unbelieving husband, or 
uh, at least a husband who's not following the Lord. First Peter three mm-hmm. is really clear about how she is to live in that setting, and uh, and then over in First uh, Corinthians seven, it, the principles for uh, marital relations is really clear when it comes to that reality. The problem with that is when you're dealing with the kind of situation that you described, uh, a mixed marriage, which is unbeliever and believer, and those kind of situations, there is, and the Bible is clear, there is a time for a husband and wife to uh, agree not to have marital relations. Uh, I can read it to you very clearly. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, do not deprive one another, he's talking about marital relations, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Obviously he's talking about, he's talking to two believers. So there's a, you know, the application of this is not perfect because you're not dealing with an unbeliever and a believer, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where you kind of get thrown back in the First Peter 3, but First Peter 3, you know, again, isn't dealing with marital relations in the physical sense. It's dealing with the role of husband and wife in that sense. And so though there would be a general principle of that, the marital relations does fall into the, the role or the placement of husband and wife. But when you're dealing with the kind of situation that you described, it is difficult. And you do have to walk that, that line circumspectly. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful um, when you're dealing with uh, anybody who's potentially abusive and all of that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to, to counsel it generally. I would want, I would want the more information and sitting with the person. But my general counsel would be, yeah, follow First Peter 3 and uh, submit as much as you can and do not provoke, um, you know, unneeded conversations uh, that are going to generate anger and all of that. Just be quiet, be gentle, be a godly, be a godly woman. And uh, but if you're if you're uh, legally separated, obviously then that ends it because you're legally separated. Mm-hmm. Or if you've agreed, as <clears throat> Corinthians seven says, to separate physically, both. Uh, both physically in the relationship as well as maritally in the sexual relationship, and you've agreed to that, then then by all means do that. Separate. And I think that's that's generally the wisest thing to do when you're going through uh, marital strife like that. It's best just to say, you know what, we're just going to refrain from that for the time being so that we can think clearly. Mm-hmm. The problem is your emotions and your thoughts when you're when you're dealing with sin like that get really clouded and uh, and therefore you can it, when you come back together sexually like that it can create all kinds of emotional confusion that's not helpful yeah. you're already struggling with sin you're already not seeing clearly and then you throw that in and it just creates an emotional turmoil f- for either party or both parties and it's best to step back and say hey we're separated we're dealing with this i don't agree with marital separation but it does happen and so that's why that passage is clear. It's like, hey, we need to pray. We need to deal with this. And so I'm going to separate. And, and I think there's even a point in which one party might bring that up to the other party and say, you know what, even if it's the believer and say, look, at this point, this is what I feel like we need to do. And again, the unbeliever might not like it, but at least there's a biblical basis to have that discussion. 
and say, for the time being, I think this is what is best for us till we work this out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's literally what the text says. And I think it would be good to have that conversation and be clear. And, and the reasons being, because it's, you know, we want to think clearly about this. We want to think biblically about this. We want to honor the Lord in this. And, and what's interesting about that, now we're in a, a whole nother discussion that's so far off Christmas, it's not even funny. But when it comes to marital relations, yeah. um, back to 1 Corinthians 7, um, honestly, most Christians are clueless for wh- why that is even given. Mm-hmm. But the Bible's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. It's not for what most people think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, pleasure is given by God, and it's a gift of God, and it's part of that design. But there is a foundational aspect to marital relations that is other-centered to have God, let me say it very explicitly, to have God honoring sex is to be selfless. Right. So in the situation that you're talking about is not selfless. It's selfish. It's totally selfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the act, no matter what you're, you're, how you're describing it, is not going to honor the Lord. And so uh, because the motive and the direction of it is obviously um, being selfish in one way or the other. So... Again, you see the complexity of it and yeah. why counseling needs Very to be much. given, but the principles are all wrong because sins involve. Mm-hmm. And when sins involve, then obviously it muddies everything and you need to get you need to come all the way back to scripture and 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 move forward. But at the end of the day, if we're back to 1 Peter 3, which is where we'll always land up, mm-hmm. and uh, if if the abuse thing wasn't there, then it would be a lot easier to answer because First Peter three is pretty clear, and I think in the broader context, the marital relations are part of that. Mm-hmm. And you just submit, and you trust the Lord, and you do your best to fulfill your role as a wife or as a husband married to an unbeliever, and you trust the Lord in that. And that's not easy to do, but that's the lot, right? Mm-hmm. That you've been called to, and you just have to trust the Lord in that, and not use withholding of those relations as a as a form of manipulation, because obviously that's not biblical either. Yeah, and so. That, but when that abuse, you know, used that very volatile and uh, uh, tenuous term, when that gets in there, then obviously there's a whole nother debacle and that has to be shepherded and considered and all of that. Um, this is complicated. And I, and I see why you started off and prefaced this with, yeah. this needs to be counseled with a, a, a specific shepherd. Like Absolutely. I, as you're starting to unpeel that onion or, or, you know, take each layer off. Like I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole lot of other contingencies, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the, in the counseling, uh, arena that would want to, that I would want to know about what's going on in the relationship and those kind of things. So yeah, it's one of those situations where it's really, you know, I can give the general principles that are clear in scripture, but then the application of those is where it gets really, uh, personal Mm. and nuanced per situation, right? And so the general principles don't change. Right. We're going to end up at 1 Peter 3. We're going to end up at 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to end up at, at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, even in the purpose and design of those relations. But it's just applying them with wisdom and prudence. It, and, and that's you can't do that through a podcast. Yeah. That has to, you, get, you need personal shepherding and, and personal involvement with counselors and shepherds and, leaders that's where the local church is mandatory is necessary because mm-hmm. that's where those guides and that's what pastors i mean that's that's what i do mm-hmm. in situations like that and yeah. these kind of things come up i've i've had to do that and we'll always have to do that and that's why we exist yeah makes sense okay 
Wow. Well, that is a... But the word's sufficient. Yeah. It's not that it's not here. It's just just dealing with the specifics and knowing them so that we know how to apply Mm -hmm. the sword of the spirit to that situation so that it heals and doesn't hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. so that it cuts the right way rather than just throwing it out there through a podcast, you know, do this, do that. And obviously, um, we don't want to create problems. We want to be problem solvers. Yep. That was good. I appreciate that uh, answer. And uh, hopefully the uh, anonymous question answerer will uh, heed and let the hearer understand. What we have now is actually the first time that we actually had someone call into the Truth Talks podcast. This is going to be very interesting. Uh, we have some new technology, so we're going to see how it works. Instead of doc- Dr. Phil, we got Dr. Buddy. No, that's no. I'm, Dr. Buddy Love. You know what I'm a doctor of? <laughs> <laughs> a doctor of foolishness. That's, <laughs> that is all I know. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. All right. So, uh, uh, caller, can you hear us? I can hear you. Awesome. We can hear you as well. Can you uh, state your name? And how about you state your name and your occupation? <laughs> Um, my name is Dina Stevens, uh-huh. and I am a um, retired homeschooler and oh. a homemaker. Okay, so <laughs> you, and you are on with Buddy Love. <laughs> this is out of control. <laughs> All right, this is now turned back into the Christmas special because <laughs> we are special. All right, so Dina, you have a question uh, for the pastor. What, what's your question? Sure, I do. Um, so my question actually goes back to um, way back to when you preached on civil obedience and civil disobedience. Yep. Um, and you listed four biblical ways that we could engage in civil disobedience. Yep. You said that we could either quietly continue yep. with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We could appeal to the authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually forget number three, and I was scrounging through my notes and I can't find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and number four was flee. Mm-hmm. And so my question was, if you would, if you ever foresaw a circumstance in which you yourself would flee or when you would counsel the church to flee? Yeah, well, better than given a circumstance that I might see, I think we can see it in scripture and that helps us, right? And so uh, I think you can see multiple times where that happens. One, first of all, I think um, Jesus Christ himself, and I think it's Matthew 10, gives that command right? And he gives that, that, that circumstance where he says, you know, as you're being persecuted, flee to the next town, right? He talks about that. Let me, I'll pull it up. I think it's Matthew 10, unless I'm, I'm saying the wrong passage. Let me read it so I get it correctly. Um, you talking about uh, the disciples when he sent out the 72? Um, Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Hold on a second. Um, that was also a Mark, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Hear those turning yeah. pages over there. So, yeah. um, I remember you speaking of that. Uh, yeah, so it's in Matthew. It's what I thought. Matthew 10, verse 23. Yeah, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So you can see that reality at times, right? He but if you read the text in its context, right above that, he talks about them being dragged into courts and standing before uh, um, principalities and governors and 
judges and obviously being judged uh, on behalf of them following Christ and speaking on behalf on his behalf and the spirit of God leading them. So you can see that reality even juxtaposition. There will be times where you're dragged in front of courts and there'll be times where you have opportunity to flee. And I think uh, you can see an illustration of that in um, the beginning of Paul's ministry in Acts, uh, Acts chapter, um, um, where is it here? Hold on. And um, when he is let down, I want to say it's, um, where he flees from Antioch, if I remember correctly, um, where he is let down through the basket because of the king had set out to, uh, You said he was let down from the basket. Is yes. Paul? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it was at the beginning of his of his ministry. Fourteen. Yeah. Chapter fourteen, verse nineteen. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, yep. and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But the disciples gathered about him. He rose up into the city. And the next day, he went on to. Is that it? No. He said he was he was no. dropped out of a basket. Yep. 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 Yeah. You you know your scripture. Yeah, I was like, I've never heard that before. Oh yeah, the only basket dropping I know of. He was let down by the wall. I can't think of it right off the top of my head right now. It's it's uh, it's right here. One second, give me enough time. It'll. uh... So, the. So just to remind everybody of the question, the question is, is there uh, a a situation where uh, when dealing with civil disobedience that we would actually flee uh, uh, in that particular situation? And uh, one of the things brought up that that Matt brought up was the disciples. Um, When Jesus sent out the disciples where they would be persecuted, he told them to to leave the city or was it the town or whatever they yeah, were, was Acts, where they were in Acts nine. And then, uh, apostle Paul, yep. uh, he's looking for yep. an Acts nine. Yep. The next nine. Okay. So, um, he is in Damascus. I don't know why I said Antioch in Damascus. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, verse 20, uh, three, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And what is interesting about that is if you read it uh, in its uh, full context, it was the, the, uh, the, the governor of Damascus that was out to get Paul, the, the leader of the city. And so it wasn't just individual Jews that were out to get him, but the whole city was looking for him and the disciples lowered him down and got him out of there. And so you can see really clearly Paul, even at that moment, fleeing, mm-hmm. uh, fleeing and, and going to the next town. And so I think there are times in which you, you obviously see this in scripture and obviously there's times, many times in Scripture where you don't see it. And so uh, I think there's a very clear example of that where you can see Paul 
obviously the the his time now this is at the beginning of his conversion and but his time obviously at that at that moment in Damascus was done it was time for him to go on and and uh, and the disciples uh, let him down it's interesting you can see something similar to that why he doesn't flee Paul doesn't speak I think it's in uh, Acts um, six let me see in Thessalonica in seventeen. This is really fascinating, and this gets often missed. So when he is in um, Acts 17 in uh, Thessalonica, Thessal- this, is, this would have been when the church of uh, Thessalonians was established. Mm-hmm. Thessalonica is what was known as a free city, and uh, therefore uh, what it was was because they, were, uh, they had helped the Rome, they would help the Romans when the when uh, Caesar was uh, in a certain war. And so when cities would do that, and they, they actually fought well, he would often award them what was, what was called, uh, he would allow them to be a free city. And basically they, they could establish their own government and kind of rule themselves. Rome would still have ultimate power, but they would really leave them alone. And that is what, what is going on in Thessalonica. And so therefore, Paul's Roman citizenship does not have as much authority in mm. Thessalonica. Wow. And so what you see happens is if you, when you read the story, um, the, the people in Thessalonica, they take the disciples to task and they're beating them up and they're, they're really persecuting them. And Paul doesn't say a whole lot. He doesn't pull his Roman citizenship card. He doesn't, he just is quiet and he flees. They have to actually sign an agreement that they won't allow Paul to come back into the city. And they, and they do, they sign it. They sign the waiver, and then they, they kind of let him go, and Paul leaves. He doesn't fight. He doesn't, like, he's, like, he, like you see him do in other cities where he pulls out his, citizen, his Roman citizenship card and says, hey, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. He doesn't do that. He's quiet. Why? Because it has no bearing. Mm-hmm. He knows it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So in his wisdom, he just is quiet. He lets it play out, and he leaves. He actually leaves. Now, he sends timothy and silas i think it is back into thessalonica to check on the church and to minister to the church but paul can't go right and so you see that reality now that's not fleeing that's not fleeing you know in the sense of aggressively like we saw in acts 9 but it is a passivity because he understands this isn't going to help the cause of christ so to, to your answer to answer your question dina at the end of the day i think it's wisdom to trying to discern hey is this going to help the cause of Christ? Is this going to, to further promote the gospel in what I'm doing? Or is this a, an, an arena to which I could passively say, remain quiet and, and move forward? Or is this something where it's, I've got to stand up, I've got to take a stand, I've got to take the beating, whatever. And, and that's where discernment is needed in the moment. Paul never compromises truth either way, when he's being lowered down in the basket or whether he's, not you know not speaking as aggressively in Thessalonica as he did in other cities he's not compromising any scripture he's not compromising any command he's just showing wisdom and discernment and here's the key how all of these issues are always nuanced right there's not a there's not a that's why i think i said there's there's four specific ways you can you can honorably disobey government honorably meaning do it in a god honoring way because it's it's nuanced mm-hmm. it's nuanced so when you study scripture you'll see they quietly disobeyed. They didn't make a big deal. They didn't picket. They didn't hold their signs up. They didn't send letters to the governor saying we're disobeying. They just went about their business. And a really good example of that is uh, 
is uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Mm. They, they didn't bow. And if you read the text, no one, no one apart from the people in the, in the vicinity by which they didn't bow, nobody else knew. It was because, because evildoers mm. tattled. Tattled on them. them out. They ratted them out. And mm-hmm. that's when, and, you know, same thing with, with Daniel. Daniel. Mm-hmm. They would have never known. Yeah. No one would have ever known. And he was just going about his business quietly, humbly, and he got ratted out. And so you can see that reality is actually most of the time in scripture when you see civil disobedience, it is the quiet mm-hmm. civil disobedience where mm-hmm. they're just going to go about and be faithful to the Lord, not create a big ruckus. But then there, there obviously are, are times where it is prudent to send a letter, right, to the to the to the government, to the official, and say, "Hey, no, this we can't do this, and this is why," and so on and so forth. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, it's very helpful. Thank you. Yep. Awesome. It's one eight hundred buddy love. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I wanted to highlight your occupation because I think it's the best occupation in the world. A stay at home <laughs> mom is the best occupation. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So it it. it Demands discernment, right? There are times in which um, we just have to we have to evaluate the situation and say, "Hey, I think um, I think many times if you can flee, right? If you can flee, just you know, rightfully flee. And again, you're not compromising scripture. You're not compromising, you know, protecting the life, the lives of others, and things like that. But you can flee to safety. I think that is almost demanded." Right. I mean, there comes a time in which that's part of protecting the image of God, protecting life. I mean, that's what we do. Right. That's why we would step in. You know, you and I, buddy, would step in to protect anybody who's being brutally hurt or or even somebody's tempted to kill them. We would jump in. Why? To protect the image of God, protect life, no matter who that person is that's being uh, being attacked, mm-hmm. being violate, violated. Right. We would do that. Yeah. And so it is and fleeing at times. It's it's uh, part of it is that so that you can continue to serve so that you can continue to minister. And I'll tell you, Dina, you might find it encouraging as you study throughout church history, you watch over and over and over again. How many times did Martin Luther flee? <laughs> How many times did he, was he on the run from, mm-hmm. from the Pope? You know, Athanasius lived most of his life. That was the, that was the, um, uh, the church, uh, quote unquote hero from the fourth century that, that really uh, was was the one man who stood up against the Roman Empire uh, in the face of what was then Jehovah's Witnesses, the Arians, who were denying the deity of Christ. And he was the one standing up and holding that banner that Christ was the God-man. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, human alone. He was God-man. He was fully divine, fully human. And, and he was attacked and and hunted down most of his life he lived on the run and yeah he kept coming in and out back and forth when they would when they would embrace the sound doctrine and then they then they would change its position and then he'd have to go on the run again Mm. and that would be an interesting story or an interesting person for you to read on he's an amazing man athanasius and he literally lived just about the bulk of his life in hiding on the run and at one point um, there's a famous church history quote, and it goes like this. It, it, the simple quote is Athanasius against the world, where he where he felt like he was the only one who was standing up for truth in a world that was following the lies, and and yet he stood up, mm. and he kept running, he kept he kept hiding, and 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 in so doing, he was able to 
continue to stand for truth. And so there's many times where you see that throughout, uh, uh, throughout um, church history too, which is, which is helpful. Great. Well, thank you so much for answering my question and the reading suggestion. <laughs> there you go. I know you like to read some of those uh, old, dead, yeah. old dead guys. And if you can, if, if, you, if you can get your friends to uh, kidnap you, that would be ideal as well. Yeah, I mean, that, like Martin Luther. There you go. There, there, there you, there you go, man. It, 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 it does happen. Yeah. Well, well, thank yeah. you, Dina, for being our much. first. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, and I'm gonna give you a round of applause as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a quit. I'm quitting, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Dina. Take care. All right. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Man, this, that, was, that was going way back. What? That question. I was like, oh man. Yeah. You, you gotta, gotta pull out the notes from that one. Cause you, yeah. you, you got Mark and, and Luke on, on the mind right now. You, that's back to the summertime there. That's so. good. That's yeah. good. That was, yeah, that was a good study. Good. So, uh, I'm gonna take, take, take a, a 30 second break and, and say something really quickly. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by sparkling water <laughs> doesn't matter the, the the flavor doesn't matter the manufacturer just drink sparkling water there you go all right <laughs> that was that was so corny buddy love <laughs> all right so let's get to the real topic that we wanted to talk about today which is the uh the wonderful time of christmas and with it being a time of uh obviously reflection um this is a like my favorite season of the year my favorite time of the year um but we got to talk about the sermon that you preached uh the first sermon in the series of christmas sermons that you preached uh where you literally called mary full of grace mm. a slave mm -hmm. and what got me was I didn't do that. That's what the Bible does. Okay. <laughs> You're right. But you Let's be clear, man. But you, oh preacher of the word, uh, did that. And here's the thing that, that got me. A couple things got me that I want to highlight. The first thing is that you went through a list of barren women, yep. which I didn't even realize. It's like, yeah, that, that's a great way to point. And it pointed to Zacharias just like he would be the one teaching people about these women and with, with him teaching these people about these women, an angel coming to him, telling him that his wife who's barren is going to have a yeah. son. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not going to happen. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then even worse, uh, that highlighted it, a woman who was much younger who hasn't, you know, definitely doesn't have the experience. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm almost assuming that she grew up in the, you know, she grew up in the Jewish tradition um, and she learned a lot of things about, you know, the, the, the Holy scriptures, you know, that would, that were available at that time. Her response was, okay, yeah. I, whatever you want me to do, I'm your slave. That was an eye-opening situation for me that somebody who should know better yep. did not do better. Yeah. And 
Zachariah, what is his specific? Because I know that he they cast lots and he was then able to perform the duties of a, a priest. Is that what it is? Yep. Yeah, he was from the line of Levi, so he was he was a priest in the temple, served as a priest. Yeah. Okay. The line of Aaron. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tribe of Levi. What like what were his like besides? Because I think he was burning incense. Is that yeah. what he was? Yeah. So what he did, obviously, this wasn't. It, this comes the passage before we preached or I preached on Sunday, but um, yeah. So what's pretty amazing about. Uh, Again, the sovereign timing of that. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, context we didn't get into, but um, important to the, to the whole story. What Levi, so they would draw lots, right? So there were so many priests in the line of Aaron and obviously the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi. And so there were so many that you would draw lots of who was going to serve in the temple, right? Because obviously there's only so many priests that are needed to serve in the temple during these you know, certain, uh, times of the year. And, uh, and so you would have these certain times that you would serve and sometimes, and then you would only have, so you not only serving in the temple, but then certain aspects of serving in the temple. So like the offering up of the prayers, which he would do was like such a special, uh, job that that might only come around once in your lifetime. Hmm to be the guy, to be in the holy place. That's closest to the holy of holies. The veil is right there. So that's the way the, the temple was laid out. So the veil is there. You're in, that's called the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. So you're, you're inside the, temp, the temple proper. You're not on the outside where the, where the lavar was and the, and the altar the, where the sacrifices were burned. You're inside now where the incense is being burned and going up, which is right before the veil, and then the smoke would literally cover the Holy of Holies and all of that. And and then you were to go in uh, as the priest, and you were to, as you're offering the incense, you were to pray on behalf of the people, and that was your job. And then obviously other priests had other jobs, and, and so um, they would generally serve in two-week blocks. And so when your lot came up, you would go to the temple and serve for two weeks, and then and then that was that was where he was at. And so this was a big deal. This wasn't something that he had probably done many times, if ever before. This might have been the only time he had ever been chosen to do this. Because again, you're dealing with so many priests that are in that in that tribe, and they're rotating them through. And then you and then it's not just rotating rotating them through into the temple, but then you have certain jobs in the temple where you rotate through. And and so this was a very special time and a very uh, important part that he was doing. And uh, so, yeah, so when he's in there, it's it's the real deal. I mean, it's a big deal. It was exciting when the when when a priest would be offering up those prayers on behalf of the people. So everyone else is praying outside mm-hmm. the temple, and the priest goes in to offer up the incense, and the smoke is burning, and he's praying. And so, yeah, it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, shall we say, anticipation that's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. in that moment right as everybody's outside waiting and praying and you know and then he comes out mute and that's what it's like shock and awe it's like what in the world just happened you know he goes in talking and he comes out he can't talk mm-hmm. and everybody's like what what happened in there and uh they would have dragged me out because yeah. i would have passed out yeah yeah well <laughs> i'm in there he quiet he and then i did. see somebody yeah oh uh, no because yeah. that's the 400 years of silence breaks there. right that's the 
that's when it's that's it mm-hmm. that's the breaking point that's the first time that god sends revelation to earth obviously since uh since malachi closes mm-hmm. and uh that prophecy and so uh yeah pretty big pretty big deal yeah so let me make sure i, I, I make sure I, I, you all know the reference this is from the december 5th sermon uh and i don't even have a a title for that, but uh, Matt actually the, preached out of Luke one twenty. The announcement of the king. The announcement of the king. That's what yep. it was. Yeah, because yep. it's uh, three. The announcement, the arrival, and the atonement. Yeah. So you can. What I'm explaining really is in verse eight of Luke one, where it says, "Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his here it is division was on duty. Mm. So you had these divisions. You had this almost like a lottery system where you know you would rotate through and. And so it wasn't like he did this every week or every day or every month. This was, this was a, a, a very special, you know, again, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen, there it is, by lot mm-hmm. to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Mm-hmm. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. So that was literally everything I just said. I should have just read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So the, okay, so, um, and now I want to uh, uh, kind of transition towards the other person that I mentioned. Yeah, you're talking about Mary. Yeah, so with Mary, uh, the, um, you know, what it actually uh, says in. Um, Verse 38. Yes, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Yep. Let it be to me according to your word. So I have. uh I, I highly well. I, I don't know if you recommend it. I would imagine you would, but I actually have the uh, Legacy Standard Bible uh, on as an app on my phone. There you go. And I love it because the the thing that gets me every time is the actual um, what is what is being said in there. Uh, it's it's a it's a different translation, um, but. They do it according to the uh, the original, uh, in this case, Greek. And in the Legacy Standard Version, it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 38 of Luke, And Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I love it because one of my favorite words in the Greek language is the word doulos. And we've spoken about it uh, before, um, and we've said the word before, but can you give us kind of like a a definition or kind of like a, a view of what that word is actually uh, giving? Yeah, so the, the, the term doulos literally means owned by another. Hmm. That, would be, that would be probably the clearest, you know, uh, vernacular for our language, right? Um, hmm. Yeah, it, I mean... It literally means slave, right? That's the clearest definition of it. But to take it even further um, in its more literal understanding of what that means, the idea that it carries is one who is owned by another, Mm -hmm. right? And obviously we understand, yeah, we call that a slave, a person that has no rights, Mm. a person that has, you know, no, no freedom in the sense of libertarian free will meaning he can't make his own decisions because his decisions are already made for him. He's an own, he's owned by somebody. So therefore I only do what the other person tells me to do. That's mm-hmm. what, that's the, that's the purest, right, correct understanding of what a slave is. Now we think immediately of, 
of the evils of slavery. Right. And there's a lot we could say about that from the European American historical context. But in the just the purest, uh, correct understanding of the term, that's what it means. And and uh, doulos obviously brings that out more clearly than diakonos. Uh, diakonos can be translated that way too, but it tends to be more servant, more as a as a as a like a table waiter, you know, one who serves another. Right. Well, obviously, a slave does that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the whole point. He's owned by another so that he might serve another. Right, but and so they they cross over in their meaning, but doulos carries more emphatic that reality of of no rights, mm-hmm. no uh, for lack of a better word, no no independent life. Mm. He is owned by another, so he has he has a different identity, he has a different name, he has a different purpose in life. So when you become a slave, you get you got a new name right? Essentially the name of your master. Mm-hmm. When you became a slave, you got a new identity, meaning you lost your identity. You have no mm-hmm. more identity. Right. Your identity's dead, right? Mm-hmm. So you got a new identity that was tethered to your master. And then you lost uh, your purpose in life. Your purpose was no longer your own personal pursuits. It now became the pursuits of the master. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously now we're, we're in the realm where it's really clear to see the, the beautiful language of this in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. And why Jesus Christ himself spoke more about this relationship of slave master than anybody because it, it clear so clearly depicts uh, the reality of the gospel where we die to self and become the slave of Christ because we're always slaves. We're either a slave of sin or a slave of, of Christ. And that's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You'll either die to the one and serve the other. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so when Mary speaks this way, she is speaking, um, she is speaking the heart of God in the sense of, this is God's plan for all people, that they would be slaves, right? Mm-hmm. That they would uh, serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with no identity but his, right? And so when she speaks that way, she is speaking um, exactly what she should, should say and exactly what we should say. Mm-hmm. And essentially what she's saying, I think I brought this up, you can, you know, you can, you could essentially paraphrase what she's saying, which is exactly what her earthly son will say the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's in the garden. Really? That's because, the same word? No, it's not the same word. I'm, I'm saying the idea of what she's gotcha. saying. Okay. What she says is, you know, she says, uh, behold, I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mm-hmm. Now, what she's saying there is essentially this. She's saying, okay, not my will, but yours be done. That is what she's saying. Mm-hmm. I have no will. I'm a right. slave. Mm-hmm. So therefore, let it be whatever you want is what I'll do. Mm-hmm. Well, that is exactly what Jesus says in the garden when he says, is there another way? Is there any other way for this to happen? And then he says, but not my will, Father, but yours be done. Gotcha. He is the slave of God, mm-hmm. right? Which is what Philippians 2 says. He came in the form of what? A slave. He took on humanity to be a slave. Right. Literally, that's, he uses the same, same Greek word, doulos, that's used here of Mary and and so, yeah, it's interesting to see that reality. That's the right response for everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's just the verbiage of a slave. Hmm. And so, yeah, so that's what she says. And, and in that moment, without reservation, with great clarity, she is a sweet example of genuine faith. Mm-hmm. And that's the cry of, of, of true faith. And she cannot, I love it. She can't understand how this is going to happen. She can't understand even fully why this is going to happen. She can't even fully, she doesn't have any idea 
when this will happen. She has no clue of how the world will, will respond, including Joseph. So basically, I, I love it. Gabriel answers none of her questions. <laughs> he answers none of her questions. Like she says, how will this be? I've never been with a man. Gabriel just, just gives her more perplexing reasons. Well, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the child to be born in your womb will be holy, the Son of God. And it's like, uh, that didn't help me out any, right? <laughs> There's no specifics. The right. point. There's no specifics by which she could, she could understand. Mm-hmm. And, and that is always, uh, for us as believers, the hang-up. Mm. Lord, if you'll just tell me, I'll follow you. And the Lord's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. I've told you. Follow me. Mm-hmm. How's it going to work? Don't worry about it. I got it. You just trust me. And that's, and that's, again, that's the heartbeat of faith. We trust the Lord when we don't have it all figured out. We trust the Lord when we can't see what's around the corner. We trust the Lord when we don't know exactly why this is happening and what the outcome will be. We just trust the Lord because what he's called us to do is clear. And what he called Mary to do was really clear. Not clear how it's all going to work, but clear what her part was, was to be. Right. And she trusted the Lord. And I love that because that is, that is so vital, mm-hmm. so vital uh, in our everyday walk. We're, we're obviously not called to the same thing she was, but called to the same faith she demonstrated. Because it is rare for God to give us every single nuance to what is going to happen. He doesn't. Because if he did, then faith would be null and void. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so it's just it's just really interesting. And you know what's other what's other what's fascinating about? And I didn't bring this out in the sermon because obviously I didn't have time. But the reality of we never know when she is uh, essentially impregnated, like when when the son of God is placed into her womb. We never know. Right. Notice in the text, Gabriel speaks as future, right? It will happen. This, mm-hmm. He will, the Holy Spirit will, the, the, uh, the power of the most high will. It's mm-hmm. still future, right? And, uh, <laughs> and yet sometime between that conversation and her arrival at, um, uh, at Elizabeth's house, something happened, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love it, right? Um, Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so there's, there's every reason to believe, right? That, um, um, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed, you know, and so it's, it's just interesting it's interesting to see this nuance. So something clearly has happened between Gabriel and and Elizabeth in that conversation in that time frame, and yet there's nothing in the scripture that tells us when this happened. The only explanation of the of the um, uh, divine conception is that one verse there, uh, or those two verses, uh, verses um, thirty five. Yeah, mm-hmm. thirty-five. That's it. One verse, Man, and I, that and that is the that is one of the most profound uh, enigmas in Scripture mm-hmm. is the condescension, the incarnation uh, of the Lord. It's like how does that happen? It's like you there it is. There's one verse, and it's amazing, right? Mm. And then there's nothing else. It just happens. And then she's pregnant, and so there's no fanfare. There's no. I often wonder, did she even know? Yeah. I don't think she did. 
I don't think she did. I don't think, you know, she wasn't like, oh, there it just happened. You know, it's it's it because I I think there's a, and again I think I think by the time she she reaches uh, Elizabeth, the baby's there, and that's what John the Baptist is responding to, and the right. baby's in the womb right, because right. Christ is in her. The, the mm-hmm. Messiah is there already. There's connection, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so I I think at this point Mary's still shocked. She's still trying to figure it out, and then mm-hmm. she's like, "How do you know?" Like mm-hmm. she's looking at Elizabeth. How do you know? Mm-hmm. Right? And obviously Elizabeth right. is prophesying in that moment by the by the holy spirit but it's interesting because what is described in the incarnation here is a is a clear example of sovereign grace where the holy spirit does his work Mm -hmm. and we never know Mm. right and so when someone is saved and the holy spirit opens the eyes it's john 3 right the wind blows wherever it will Mm -hmm. you can't see you don't know it's the spirit and he brings life to a dead soul he opens the eyes he he uh, gives a new heart. He provokes uh, us to see Christ and believe. Yet, there's no supernatural, you know, tornado. There's no, it just, all of a sudden, you go from, I don't believe, to I believe. You go from a moment where I can't see Christ, now I can see him, right? Mm-hmm. And believe. And and it's like, you can't pinpoint any, any you know, uh, charismatic dilemma. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And then, And I think you even see that in the, in the incarnation, uh, in the placing of Christ in the womb of Mary, there's no fanfare. There's no big. It just happened. And, and, and can I can I uh, play the role of Pastor Matt right quick? Yeah. The reason why uh, that didn't, she didn't, she wasn't aware, and the Scripture doesn't tell it, is because our sinful hearts would want to focus on, the on that experience versus exactly what is it really is supposed to be all about. Yeah, and it's and and it leaves the mystery. And hence the point of the sermon, the mm, perplexity, perplexing, yep. the perplexity of how God works and how, you know, we, we are told in scripture, um, all, all that we need to know mm-hmm. and what we're told is rather clear, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, verse 35 is not confusing, right? It, I mean, it's pretty clear. Yeah. The Holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of God. Mm. That verse is pretty clear. Yeah. Now articulating exactly what that means is not clear, right? It's Mm -hmm. hard to understand. It's, it's beyond our comprehension, honestly. Right. Yet what he's saying and how it's going to work, he's like, yeah, okay, this is going to be a work of God. God's going to work. Holy spirit's going to work just like creation in the beginning. God, I, I understand that. Now tell me how that all happened. I can't explain that. Right. (laughs) I can understand it clearly, but I can't understand it exhaustively. Like, I can't give you the details. Same thing with sovereign grace, right? And the regeneration of the heart, John mm-hmm. 3. I can tell you exactly what that means, and I can tell you exactly what happens. But if you ask me the details for how all that happens, I can't tell you. That's a mystery. It sounds like that. Uh, I think Jesus healed somebody, and they're like, well, how did this happen? He's like, I don't know. Exactly. I just know that I was yeah. blind, and now I see. Or, yeah, you know, that's I, it. I couldn't that's, walk, whatever that situation the, was. Yeah, it's the man born blind, John 9. There you go, yeah. 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 yeah, and his parents and who are scared to death, and they're like, "I don't know, go ask him." They're asking, they're asking the parents, "How did he do this?" I don't know, go ask my son. And then the son comes in, is like, "I don't know. All I know is I was once blind, but now I see." Right. And that's the that's the cry of true faith, right? Mm-hmm. And Mary's like, "I don't know how this happened. You know, I was a virgin, and now I'm pregnant, right? right? And this is what Gabriel said, and this is what I believe." Mm-hmm. And there's so much uh, comfort and clarity in that, where we, you know, I don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah, and that's the 
that's often the dilemma we face in faith. We don't want to trust. We want to better understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all about better understanding, but my better understanding doesn't come outside of my trusting. My mm. better understanding comes because I'm trusting. Right. And so uh, uh, Anselm was, was big on this, and he wrestled with this in church history. And it's like, uh, do we understand to believe, or mm. do we believe to understand? Mm. And the answer to that, I believe, is emphatic, and we see it right here. She can't understand. Mm-hmm. She didn't say, uh, hold on a minute, Gabriel, let's, let's, let's pause, let's take a break. When I figure this out, then I'll say, I am the slave of the Lord. But until that, you got to give me more. She doesn't ask any more questions. Can I get 24 hours yeah, to think exactly. about it? <laughs> exactly. Can we, have a, can we have a tutoring session, and you can walk me through how the power of the Most High works? Right. No. She says, okay, I got it. May it be to me, as your word has said, I am the slave of the Lord. It's like, yeah, she believed. And then what's, what, is, what do we see her doing the rest of her life? Pondering these things in her heart, mm-hmm. believing, believing, understanding, mm-hmm. understanding. And that's the way it is with us. We believe. That's what Hebrews 6, Hebrews eleven six says, right? He that comes to God must believe that he exists mm-hmm. and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Mm-hmm. So we believe because God has demonstrated he is faithful. He is worth believing. He, it's not blind faith. But we can't fully understand the incomprehensible God. But as we believe, he helps us understand him more and more mm-hmm. and more. And it is glorious. Mm-hmm. You know, as I look back at my notes, one of the things that stuck out to me is the perfect setup, like the perfect timing. Yeah. So one, um, and we were talking about this, me and the kids um, were talking about this, the the lineage that he came through. Yes. So uh, Luke, I think it was Luke. No, it was Matthew. Matthew. Where he's like, because uh, uh, they were like, well, who is Seth? It's like, well, yeah. Adam, it's, this is the son of Adam. Yeah. It's like Adam, son of God. Yep. So it was like, okay, going down that lineage, it was like the perfect like setup. So he came through David, yep. the, you know, through through the line of Judah, you know, is the lion of Judah. Yeah. And it's like, that is is there. So Joseph as well. Yep. Joseph, his stepdad, yep. basically, was he came from that line as well. Yeah. But then you have from the line of Levi, you have uh, Zechariah, yep. the the dad of uh, John, the West Virginia baptizer. Watch out! Watch out! Because <laughs> only 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 a West Virginia baptizer would go to the river. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can get me singing now. <laughs> So it's like it's it's like everything just like like literally just came right in line perfectly. Then, you know, she's you you said and she's six months pregnant. She has to show. Yep. Then Mary is going to her during that time. So it's like you have uh, uh, John John the Baptist who is six months uh, older than yes. his cousin. Yes. And it's like all of these things just like perfectly in line. It's, did just you have hap- the just happened, brother? <laughs> it, it it can't just happen. <laughs> exactly. Then you have you know uh uh then you have the the magi seeing the star and yep. the, the, the 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 shepherds right there at the perfect time when exactly. the angels show up. It's like man, it was like Galatians four four in the fullness of time. Fullness of time. God sent during during Pax Romana as yep. well. It's Amen. like all of these things are happening yep. so easily and. I was like, man, it's somebody's like somebody's got to be in control. 
it can't be spontaneous. <laughs> this can't be just by chance. No way. Because what would have happened is everybody would have got their part wrong. Exactly. I, I'm sorry. I, I was supposed to be in, in Nazareth. Yeah. I was supposed to be in Jerusalem at this time. I got to go. It, it's no way in the world that you would have been able to figure all these pieces oh. to the puzzle out all at the same time and everything to work literally yeah. perfectly. Yeah. I heard, I heard a, I think, I don't know if it was some sort of scientist did the research of all the prophecies on Christ that came true. Mm -hmm. And they said, if just one of them came true, it would, it was, I forget, I forget, I forget the exact number, the, the, the mathematical number. It was crazy. It was like one in, you know, 12, you know, 15 zeros or something. Mm -hmm. But I remember the analogy. They, they, they figured it up and they said it was like covering the state of Texas in quarters up to like, I don't know, six or eight inches tall and taking one quarter and coloring it red and throwing it in the middle of Texas. And then you walked out there blindfolded and picked up that quarter. It was like the same, <laughs> the chances of that happening were the same. Like it's wow. like you can't, it's not going to happen. Right. And that's the point. Like it's impossible. That's the point. And so, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think that point of, Gabriel showing, <clears throat> providing Mary, uh, um, proof that his, what he said was true through Elizabeth is a, is a profound point to God's grace and kindness in leading his children along. Mm. Like, uh, you know, the task that he was calling Mary to was an enormous task mm -hmm. and he, he was going to shepherd her through and provide for her. And even in that moment when she's trying to figure this out, He's like, I'll prove it to you. Remember your cousin. But he didn't do that in the moment she was. She was uh, 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 pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, because Zachariah was six months earlier. Gabriel waits until she can, till it can be seen. It's undeniable. The old woman's pregnant. Right, Look right. at her belly. You mm -hmm. know, feel the child. Mm -hmm. And we see it when she arrives there. The child's moving, mm -hmm. right? Because a six-month-old six baby can t twist and turn and dance a jig in the womb right. right and so it's it's undeniable she isn't just uh, great with uh, steak and potatoes she's she's great with <laughs> no child. food babies yeah exactly no spare tire <laughs> right. and she and so i just always i think I, i've always been fascinated by the grace of god in that and the timing you can just see every detail lined out by the lord it's 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 awesome it's again perplexing to the point of praise and all yeah it it is is beautiful. So, um, a couple of uh, we gotta get ended up here because uh, <laughs> got some some other things to take care of this evening, uh, like rehearsal for this coming Sunday. Um, one thing, uh, the the quote that you put uh, in the beginning uh, is oh, Thomas yeah. Lie, yeah, Puritan, yeah. Um, I might not get this right, but I'm going to get it close enough. God often brings his people to a place that they do not know what to do so they can find out what he can do. Yeah. I was like, that is beautiful. Well, that's the story. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole point. He's He keeps taking, uh, you know, he takes Zechariah and Elizabeth. He takes Mary. He takes Joseph. You mm -hmm. know, he takes he takes all of us yeah. to a point where it's like, yeah, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't. It's impossible. You're too weak. You're too frail you, your strength is 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 incomplete and insufficient but not mine yeah. right and that's that's the glory of our god he is he is kind and merciful to bring us to that point so that it grows our faith so that we grow in our understanding of how awesome how omnipotent how all wise 
how sovereign he is. So then we trust him. And that trust isn't just a, a, uh, uh, for our faithfulness, it's for our peace, right? Because when you grow in your ability to trust the Lord, then that is the heartbeat of peace. We have peace, we have comfort, we have courage, we have contentment, all these things that are foundational to a productive life in a godless world. All of that is driven by the grace of God because he brings us to that point, which is the end of ourself. Mm. So at the end of the day, the lack of peace, the lack of contentment, the lack of courage, the the lack of uh, conviction and all these things are all really driven because of one thing, because we trust ourselves too much. Mm. And God in his kindness over a period of time, step by step, moment by moment, issue by issue, he leads us to a point where we what? Die to self again die to self again. And every time, what do we learn? How awesome God is, how powerful he is, Mm -hmm. how loving he is, how sovereign he is. And what do we do? We trust him more. We trust him more. And then what do we grow in? Hope, peace, joy, all of those things. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Last thing I want you to talk about real quick is, uh, (laughs) the, the term or the title, uh, El Elyon. Yeah. God most high. So is that a, because what you were, okay, well, you said the the child would be great. That part is a title that's usually connected to God in scripture. Yeah. But you specifically said the son of most, the son of the most high. Yeah, the most high God. Yeah. Is that a, a is that a title that was commonly used among the Jews yeah. at that time? Um, with the, uh, with the, um, understanding that there was a, 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 the most high was coming, or is that just what they used as a title to call Yahweh? Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you can see it again. You can see it in verse 32, right? He calls, he calls, um, uh, Christ, the son of the most high. Right. And so basically he, he's making it really clear. This is Yahweh's son. And then he uses the same phrase again in verse 35, right? The spirit came upon you and the power of, of the most high. Mm-hmm. And so she knows who he's talking about. Cause that's, that was a common, uh, descriptor, mm-hmm. right? Title for yeah, God it's capitalized here. Yeah. It's a common descriptor for Yahweh and it's used many times in scripture. David uses it multiple times throughout the Psalms and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it speaks of the, of the, uh, enormity and transcendence of God that there is no one like him. He is the highest of the high. He is a God like no other. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is far beyond, all other gods and everything. And, uh, and so it speaks of his, uh, superior nature. And obviously, you know, in the incarnation, it speaks of his superior nature mm-hmm. and he is God like no other, no God could, could do this ever has done this ever will do this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, descriptor of our God and Christ is the son of the most high. And in so being, he is being co-equal with God in the Trinity, in the Trinity, he himself is most high in that he is uh, uh, supreme overall as the great creator and sustainer of all that is Colossians one and Hebrews one and uh, is glorious. And that's why um, that term great, right? He will be great. The son is, is used of God multiple times in scripture, right? It is a title almost always reserved when it's speaking of a person for God. Right. And, uh, and uh, that reality is just a term of, of su- superlative explanation. Like he will be great. 
meaning there is no one greater, mm-hmm. right? And then even most high, they just kind of build on each other. They're just superlatives that keep keep explaining what is in so many ways unexplainable, mm-hmm. right? You can't go high enough. You can't go great enough when you're describing God. And yet that same descriptor obviously is used not only of Yahweh, but of Christ. And then it's used again over in Titus chapter two uh, in verse 13, where Paul calls Christ our great God and Savior. I mean, literally calls him God and Savior and uses that same terminology, great, right. again, and uh, which is pretty fascinating, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty again, speaking to, again, the, his deity and the, and the Trinitarian nature of, of the Father, Son, and Spirit and how they are co-equal in their essence and, uh, you know, sharing the same titles at times and same worship and same power and, and uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, because I, I found it interesting because, you know, I think of Isaiah 9, 6 yep. and all the things that he was called there. Yeah. Most high for me was a new one. El Elyon was a new one for me. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you know, Emmanuel is, you know, is, is usually one God with us. And, uh, um, uh, you know, his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of like what the baby was to be called. Yeah. But that stuck out to me. I'm like, oh, man, that is a good one. And, yeah. The this, most high and and great. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's a that's a different level. That's a that's yeah. an even bigger level. And, yeah, he's and, the son of the most high. There is there is nothing. There is no one greater. Yeah. than him. Mm-hmm. That's the point. There is no one who can be compared to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and obviously Isaiah nine six carries that further, which is always interesting. He's the everlasting father. Mm-hmm. You know, let that. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's the son. Yeah. That he's the father. Yeah. Oh wow. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, the there's perplexity. There's perplexity. There it is. That's the perplexity. Let it drive you to praise. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, break it off here. Um, how about you give us the gospel in in light of us talking about the 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 God of the universe that came down uh, for us and. Yeah. Uh, what is what is the gospel in light of that in, in the light of Christmas? Yeah, well at the end of the day the gospel begins with God. It's all about God and Christmas obviously is all about God. Mm. We have no Christmas where if it's not for God because God is the initiator. God is the reason. God is the is the um, uh, provoker of Christmas. He is the one that sends the son, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I brought that out at the beginning of the sermon, right? Gabriel comes from God. He is sent from God. Mm-hmm. None of this happens were it not for God. So mm-hmm. the gospel really begins with God. Um, God made everything, Genesis 1-1, including, including humanity. And God made humanity that humanity might serve him, worship him, and know him, enjoy him forever. It wasn't like robotic slave labor. God wanted humanity to enjoy his presence. God didn't need humanity. He was perfectly content within the Trinity, but God has so loved and created a, a, a world where man was the pinnac- pinnacle of creation so that man could serve him, worship him, and enjoy him forever. But man was not content with that. Man wanted to be the pinnacle. Man disobeyed God. God gave him very clear commands of what he was supposed to do. Man disobeyed Adam and Eve in the garden, and that's where sin enters the world. Sin is turning our back on God. Sin is rebelling against God. Sin is cosmic treason. Cosmic because it's against the God of all the earth. 
treason because it's turning our back against God. And, uh, and Adam and Eve did that, and then they, pra- they passed that propensity to all men. Everybody born from them then had that desire in their nature. It's called a sin nature. And so we, we, we not only sinned in our parents, Adam and Eve, but then we're born sinners, born rebelling against God, born treasoning against God, meaning turning our back against him, turning our back against his ways and trying to overthrow him. That's what treason is. We want to be gods in our own heart. And that's how we live. Every one of us live. When we say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. We have just made ourselves God. That's what sin is. It's treason. And so we've all sinned. And the Bible is clear. He that sins must die, must be judged. The Bible's clear that all who sin are separated from God. That's what it means that we are dead in our sins. For we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. What is that? That means the plan that God had for us to bring him glory. We have fallen short of that. We, we cannot attain that now. And because of our sin, it must be judged. Hebrews 9 says, without question, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment, and everyone will be judged. Well, if, if we're left in that state, we have no hope because we're all sinners, and therefore we all must die. We all must be judged, and that judgment must come by eternity because we've sinned against an eternal God, and therefore we must be judged for all eternity if the judgment is going to be according to the sin, and our sin is that heinous. And God in his mercy didn't leave us in that state. God provided a way, a way in which he could be just and the justifier. What does that mean? A a way in which he could judge our sin while at the same time save us. Think about that. Mm. What judge can do that, right? Mm -hmm. Only the great judge of all the earth, almighty, most high God. Mm -hmm. He provides a way where he won't sweep sin under the carpet of his character. He will actually judge it because it deserves to be judged. He must judge it because he's holy, righteous, and perfect. So he provides a way, and that is a perfect substitute to stand in our place and be judged for our sin. And that perfect substitute is his one and only son, the second member of the Godhead, the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ. So he sends, this is Christmas now, he sends that one and only son to earth that he might come and live as the second Adam, the perfect man, that he might live on earth and do all that God has called him to do, never sin. And then part of that living, even though he's never sinned, is to stand in in the substitutionary place of the sinner. And that's what happens on the cross. So he lives the perfect life, fulfilling the law, and then he dies the perfect death, fulfilling the judgment that we all deserve. And so he goes to the cross, not because he sinned, but because we sinned. And God Almighty, Isaiah 53, pours out his wrath upon the Son that is deserving of all mankind. And Christ bears that wrath, and so fulfilling then the judgment that we deserve. And then in the gospel, God says, the promise is this, if you will repent of your sins, meaning recognize that that is your sin on the cross, recognizing that Christ died because you sinned. He didn't sin, but you sinned against God. And if you will recognize that, repent of it, turn away from it by trusting in Christ alone, saying, yes, Christ was judged, he didn't deserve it, but I deserve it, and that is my sin. And if I trust in him, the promise is God will forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will move us from being those without grace to those being with grace. He will move us from being judged to being graced, and we will go from eternal death to eternal life. And uh, Jesus Christ didn't just die and was buried in a tomb. 
He was raised on the third day, which is vital to the gospel because we do not trust in a dead Savior. We trust in a living Lord. He came back to life just like he said he would, Hmm. proving he is who he said he was and proving that the Father accepted the sacrifice. And therefore, as Romans 4 says, he was raised for our justification. Therefore, when we say repent of your sins and trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a trust and a faith, not of not a leap of faith, but a trust in objective proof that Christ was raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. He did die on the cross. He was raised from the, from the grave. He did ascend to heaven, and he will save all who trust in him. And that is the gospel, and that's the call of Christmas. So awesome. It, 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 I never tire of hearing that, and it is just so amazing how we are, uh, <laughs> controversial word coming up, elected to even know it, and it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought about something, too. Um, the whole song, Mary, Did You Know? Yes. Completely horrible. Why? Because <laughs> Mary did know. It's in, it's in Luke chapter 1. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she she already did know. She did know already. So. Yeah, but she didn't know. She didn't know to the level right, yeah. of that. She she was perplexed. Yeah, that's why she pondered. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, tune in next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at The Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at thecrockbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.